Alfred Hitchcock episode 4 take 1 Welcome back to Cinema de More. I'm Justin Morgan. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chuck Phillips. You're He's the host. second host. He's hostess number 2. <laughs> and we are going to be discussing Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. We've moved into the 1950s American Alfred Hitchcock films. I was about to say, I mean, technically we did that last week, but... Fully into. Yeah, we're fully in. We're all up in America. Last week we dipped our toes. This week we're in it. We're neck deep. Yeah. Exciting. That's it. That's the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's a Rear Window. It's exciting. These are our new episodes. We just tell you what we watched and then we don't tell you anything about it or if we even liked it. Rear window. That, it was great there. Yeah. You learn a little bit more as the episodes go on. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you noticed too, the last couple weeks, especially through the Hitchcock episodes, I've done the raw upload, which is not as dirty as it sounds. Hmm. There's sounds almost, dirty. it does sound pretty dirty. There's no editing. I've just been putting music on, and you've been hearing how we actually sound all the time, which I feel is generally dumb, but what do I know? We're getting better. Oh, yeah. But I usually use some trickery to make us sound better. I have a very bad William Shatner breaking up my sentence. Not that bad. That's an exaggeration, but I am guilty of that. But like I said, and, and this isn't a great thing, but when I've listened to Hitchcock and Truffaut and listening to Hitchcock <laughs> speak, I feel pretty good about my speaking abilities. Gives you some confidence. <laughs> yeah. He really mauls over an idea for a long time. Yeah. And I guess that's why he's the master of suspense and why he puts he puts a lot of time into his movies. Yeah. He really thinks them out. Anyways... Rear Window. How do you feel about this movie, Chuck? This is one of his big ones. His well-known ones. It is. I think it is one of his best. I I know I I read off my list last time. This is my second favorite Hitchcock movie. And I never made a list, and it would definitely be top five for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we're, we're, like we said last time, we're hitting the the unintentional Jimmy Stewart streak because he is in... (laughs) I mean, all he, is in, he is in Hitchcock's biggest films. All of all of the ones that he's in are pretty much considered some of his best other than, I guess, Rope. But I'd say, again, I still feel like Rope has a lot of good stuff in it. Um, it just maybe doesn't hold up as well as some of the other ones just because of the maybe some of those technical limitations. This feels like a good extension of Rope because it was another he's kind of trying to do that same the same concept. That again, we, we talked about how he, he keeps hitting these same uh, ideas over and over again, and he keeps perfecting them. And this is the one that I think he perfected finally the single location drama, which he did with Lifeboat, which I think Lifeboat's pretty interesting, but it's not, he doesn't necessarily sustain the suspense and tension for that full film. There's a lot of like lulls in that. It gets, it has like a weird pace to it. Uh, but I think it's pretty decent. It's a pretty interesting challenge that he set for himself to set the entire film on a lifeboat as your single setting. Then again, Rope is another single setting 
but then he kind of added the challenge to himself of you know making the whole thing look like it's in real time in one cut which obviously we've we've discussed you know lack of some technological features he couldn't truly like get the get the exact look he wanted he couldn't get birdman or 1917 you know precision that he that he definitely I'd love wanted. To, him to see one of those movies yeah because that's definitely was trying but i think i feel like rear window is uh definitely that where he finally truly mastered setting the entire story in a single location you never leave that room for the entire film which if i if i could time travel i would go back in time with the technology to help him successfully pull off rope yeah we would go back to the future actually produce a, a negative for him <laughs> in film and just let everyone wonder how he pulled it yeah, off how, how he how he mastered that but he uh, sold his soul to the devil but yeah i think like i said i think this is where he he does there's a lot of right good movies this. that don't have jimmy stewart in it we just somehow happen to not pick to, yeah. them I mean, because I think yeah. of North by Northwest is a huge one, and he has a few with Cary Grant. Yeah, North by yeah. Northwest, Suspicion, To Catch a Thief, uh, to catch a thief Psycho. Yeah. Like you said, the birds. There's a lot that don't they don't have Jimmy Stewart in them. He just yeah, Jimmy Stewart just happens to pop up in like uh, three of his best films. He's an interesting actor. He is as we talked we talked about this a few times. There's moments where he just feels out of place. Yeah. Except these couple movies he feels right at home. It, it's almost, it's a wonderful life where I feel that like that is one of the best Jimmy Stewart performances that you're ever going to get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. We, yeah. We brought up that like when he, when he kind of gets too, uh, too crazy, too, too excited. That's kind of where like, that's like almost, I, I ignore all of the, the, the technical flaws in rope uh, the the part where like rope always loses me is the is the end when jimmy stewart gets like way too way too crazy and he's like scream when he's like i know what you'll do you'll die and he's like going way too nuts he's he's way too over the top at the end of that movie which he's one that he he's a guy that if you if you let him go too far he definitely goes way too far but i, I feel like in he's good in the man who knew too much i don't feel like he goes he doesn't go over the top in that film ever really um but i think a rear window he definitely seems like he suits that character of the only thing that seems over the top is he is this heartthrob i guess yeah that every, every no one can get enough of jimmy stewart it, it, the relationship is weird it almost has the the 2000s uh sitcoms where the the ugly husband has the attractive wife type oh, thing. I thought you were going to say like all the Adam Sandler movies, like they always bring up like every Sandler movie where he's like this schlubby guy, but he always has like a blonde, like supermodel wife. Same idea. Yeah. Same idea. I, I What I really do love about this movie is it's probably one of his best movies as far as visuals go. Yeah. We see, we th we see what Jimmy Stewart is seeing. This character, uh, he has broken his leg in an accident that revolved, you know, involves a car, like a racing car, because he's a photographer. It also explains why he has an extremely long telephotic lens for his camera that he can also use to spy on people. Yeah. And visually, it's kind of cool. It kind of has that telescope vibe to it. 
But I, I think that's kind of the genius of this movie is that the way that it's split up between like the six or so other tenets that he's able to see that also kind of reflect his feelings. You don't have to know much. They, they speak for themselves. Like everything speaks for themselves. You don't have Jimmy Stewart, like reiterating what he saw to anyone. But I mean, besides, besides what he hasn't seen and what he suspects. Yeah. Yeah, he the the other thing that this film makes me think of, uh, which has sort of been around the same time, like I guess you like they were contemporaries, is uh the films of Jacques Tati, which I love, yeah. which he does a great job. All of his films are he makes these whole towns and settings, and then he just populates them with like side characters that you will never know their names. They don't even have dialogue half the time. But they're really interesting to just watch. Like he, he just loved to, you know, especially with his film Playtime, which is probably one of my favorite films of all time, uh, to just let the camera sit and just watch these characters interact in this world and just almost do the same thing, like just pull out to this uh, telescopic level of seeing an entire... He does a great shot where he shows an entire apartment building from the outside. You can't hear any of the actors you just see all of the characters doing things in the building for a solid like 10 minutes and he just lets that play out. And this film makes me think of that a lot in the way they, they have that set perfectly built to where it's just this little community and you never leave that area. You see, you just start to know who these people are mostly even by like the nicknames he gives to everybody. You know, he's like Miss Lonely Hearts is the girl downstairs that, uh, you know, doesn't have a boyfriend and uh, seems like she's, she's probably looking a little, for love or something. Yeah, she's like an older woman that never, never married or uh, settled down or something like that. She doesn't have anyone. Then they always refer to uh, the ballet dancer across Miss Torso. He always calls her. Then there's the composer up in the corner that's always trying to like write his next piece. Um, and yeah, it's the uh, newlyweds. Yeah, the newlyweds that are next door. There's the the couple that sleeps on the on the fire escape because it's so hot that they, that they don't want to sleep inside. So they sleep on the fire escape. Um, and yeah, I like the uh, serial killer. Yeah, we don't, we don't get, uh, well, maybe not serial, but none of these characters. Yeah. They're all seen through Jimmy Stewart's eyes. Like we never, we never find out any of their names and yeah, he kind of attributes things to them that he just kind of imagines because he doesn't actually interact with them when, we get that great scene. This is getting towards the middle of the film when uh, that couple on the catwater fire escapes uh, dog is killed. And she kind of like has that rant where she's like, oh, you people don't even know each other. You, you you just sit here and and watch each other and, you know, hate each other. And you don't even know who you don't even know what our names are. You know, you, you call yourselves neighbors, but we don't talk. We don't interact with each other. And which is true. I think that happens to a lot of people like. I feel like there's a lot of people out there. You might know some of your neighbors, but like, could you name every single one of, yeah. Like, could you name no, every single neighbor? I don't even think yeah. I could name a whole house. Yeah. Like the residents and like, it's weird. At the very beginning when I moved on this block 10 years ago, it's like you vaguely catch on to some names, but then after that you stop. Like once, you, if you don't have it, you don't keep asking. Yeah. And you vaguely kind of guess what they do. 
but I, I I don't know. I laugh because Jimmy Stewart in this movie kind of has that that I want to call it the grandma mentality, the one that knows everything that's going on on the street because she's just watching out the window. No, he's got nothing else to do. I mean, I mean, you know, there's a lot going on in this movie too, but like with that character. Uh, it explores the idea of voyeurism, also the use of perspective. I like that alley where you can kind of see the restaurant across the street, but you can't see much more than that because that's as far as Jimmy yeah. Stewart's able to see from that angle. Yeah, that's what closes off the whole the whole like neighborhood in there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's and and the movie plays out in a really interesting way where there is a character like that is suspected of being murdered by Jimmy Stewart and he's the only one that has observed this and feels suspicious. Has he seen the murder? He hasn't seen the murder. But what he's seeing and what he considers normal and not normal is what plays a huge part into this into this movie. It's also really interesting, too, because as a character, he seems to be ignoring his his problems, like his own personal problems. It seems as if he's on his way to uh, become a married man and what that means for him. And so it's he has this weird escapism where he like he he's putting himself into other people's lives. And I think that's where Hitchcock's the best in this is the fact that we aren't ever really told exactly what he feels at any given time. It's just, it's just us seeing what he's seeing and we're feeling what we're feeling. Also, I, I mean, I just kind of like, it feels like how you said when you're talking about the single location too, it ha it does have like a really great uh, stage play type vibe to it where I think something similar, it could actually work pretty well as a play. And besides rope, that's the only thing that I think would ever work that way. Well, I guess lifeboat too, which I, I haven't seen, but the way you explain it, I guess that could also be. I never saw a lifeboat. Play. Come on, man. Got to get up on your Hitchcock. It's, it's, it's not, uh, you're like, like it's I not said, even it's, good. It's, yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's, it's not the best, but it definitely was, you can tell obviously that that was like his starting point for for kind of coming up with that concept of putting people that one plays out less like less of a suspense film and more just like uh more just yeah like it is more like a i don't want to say like class drama of like there's like the the high-end passengers that were on the ship that got on the lifeboat and then there's like the the lower the lower classmen on the ship that and it's like how how is their how is their worth counted against the others? Uh, it's interesting. Again, it's not, I think I, I ranked it like somewhere in the middle. Like it's, it's not as best, but it's far from being a, a bad movie, but definitely, definitely had some ideas that he, that he was working out before he got to, he got to this point. Um, I'm sure what he, I'm sure what he would love is if he could kind of like erase his beginnings at some, to some extent. Because he's very vocal about the movies of his that he didn't like. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about before The Man Who Knew Too Much, the original. He felt that he was making like a lot of crap before that. 
Yeah. He was like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really care. I try to make whatever I can make, but my thoughts were that I wasn't actually making anything that was worthwhile. So how I had managed to keep making movies for the rest <laughs> of my life is uh, surprising to me. Yeah. The way that, the way that we get to the, the central mystery of this film, uh, I do really love that scene. That's one of my favorites, the way, but cause, and honestly, I kind of fell asleep when I first started watching this movie because I had to get up early the the next day. So I I was kind of going in and out, and I was I was basically exactly like James. We're Stewart talking about the first time you watched this. No, I'm talking about when I rewatched it this oh, week. Oh, okay, okay, okay. No, but uh, that that moment when uh, the night that it that he thinks it happened, and like when he keeps falling asleep, and then he he like randomly wakes up, and he's just like what the hell's that guy doing like leaving his house he like looks at the clock and he's like it's like two o'clock in the morning that's weird and then he just kind of like falls back asleep and then he wakes back up again he's like the hell's that guy going out again now it's like four o'clock in the morning uh and then conveniently like uh falls asleep like basically the 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 entire plot hinges on the fact that he didn't wake up when the guy left with a woman um who he says is his wife that he's leaving with. That's the one time that he doesn't wake up because obviously if he'd have woke up and saw, saw the guy leaving with that woman, he would have just been like, Oh, I guess he's, guess he's taking his wife and, and they're leaving or something like that. But the fact that he just misses that one key moment out of all of that is like, that, that he he's, has he's a line about paranoid. it being convenient. Like, of course it happened when I was asleep. Yeah. Yeah. They went out last night. Oh, okay. Well maybe I missed it, but yeah, and then yeah, everything just keeps stacking His up from the there. friend, the detective, sucks. He's a terrible detective. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to believe in uh in any of these conspiracy theories that Jimmy Stewart's throwing out there. He does. He does seem to always have when Jimmy Stewart's like, "Well, what about the what about the butcher knives and the saws?" And he's like, "Do you own a saw?" And Jimmy Stewart's like, "No." <laughs> he's like, "Why would I own a saw? I live in an apartment building in the in the city." <laughs> Why would I have need of a saw and a giant butcher knife? I bet lots of people own those, and they don't kill people. Yeah, his uh, his um, like his caretaker, or like she says, she works for the insurance company. She's like his his uh, therapist or something like that. She uh, like yeah, physical therapy or something. She reminds me of um. Uh, the the dad and his friend from shadow of a doubt where she has like she's just like this regular lady but she has like these really dark thoughts she's like it's like oh what's in that suitcase probably mrs thorwald how many pieces do you think she's in probably had to do it in the bathtub because that's the only place you could get the blood out later on or something like that while jimmy stewart's like trying to eat his breakfast and like can't take that she keeps bringing up he's like maybe he buried her in the garden well i mean unless she's buried uh from the neck down or something like that yeah, standing up. Yeah, that it's actually kind of it's weird. All these characters mirror things. Specifically, the characters they are different sides of of Jimmy Stewart again. You have the 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 caretaker that kind of enforces his thoughts, and then you have the friend that is like against his thoughts. And then you have his fiance who doesn't it is supportive, I would say, but he doesn't know how to handle that type of personality. Yeah. He's it's it's a weird thing to not he's like I'm not a hundred percent sure if he's 
he's ready for. He's a, he's afraid of uh, he's afraid of commitment. It seems like he's yeah, not yeah. ready to he's not ready to have that. Well, that he seems kind like he's life. also afraid of his freedom. Like he's afraid of losing the the world traveling that he's been getting, and you know she tries to sway it like, oh well, you know she's in the fashion, and she goes, well you could take photos, and he's not. He's not totally thrilled by the idea of taking photos for fashion. He doesn't yeah. want to be that person. But yeah, I mean, everybody, every character mirrors some sort of aspect of him. And I, I think it's, it's, that's probably one of the more clever parts of this movie is that he sees himself in, they're like, I don't know. I don't know of a better movie. I'm thinking of something like Identity. It's like almost multiple personalities. They're all like little bits of of Jimmy Stewart in some sort of way, you know. Whether he's the the free bachelor, or he gets too wrapped up in his work, and is he successful or not? That'd be the composer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i i do I do really enjoy the way that they. Uh, out of every film that Hitchcock does too, this is maybe, I don't even want to say his most interesting villain, but I do just love the uh, Raymond Burr's fun in this movie of how we always have to see him from a distance through like a lens. Like he, Hitchcock yeah, loves to have, sometimes yeah, too. Hitchcock loves the, he clearly like loves the villains. He, he enjoys, you know, these characters like, like someone like Joseph Cotton from shadow of a doubt, like, like he really enjoys having these like grand, you know, psychopaths or like someone like Peter Laurie in the original man who knew too much that like are kind of somewhat a little over the top in the in their manners. Um, uh, but Burr the, might be one of my favorite, though. He's he's so good. I love I love just he basically mimes the entire movie because you never you never hear him talk other than the very final scene in the film. Everything just has to be from a distance. And like when he's looking through the lens and and like when he gets the note that he sends him that they slip under the door that's like that's like what happened here and he just looks through the window and he just has that like that goofy look on his face it's just like how does he know who how does he know who me? sent this to me like he's so he's so panicked that it's so good um, I also you know, like when you kind of get to the the climax too the, when he finally does speak <laughs> it's more like along the lines of. What's your problem, man? What did I ever yeah, do to you? Like, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you want from me? You want money? I don't have money. I don't know what you want. Just yeah. tell me what you want. Yeah. Again, this kind of... Uh, yeah, that, that almost plays into... Uh, that would, I guess, probably be... A, obviously, we've we talked about before, like, they have remade this type of movie multiple times. Um, we mentioned, like, Disturbia. That's, that's one of the most obvious... Uh, remakes of this film and that that always kind of plays it, it pretty much almost always is that the guy is the killer that that we think is the killer um but that would be more interesting every once in a while to kind of get those ones where where is he the killer like is he innocent and you're like you're accusing an innocent guy which I, we've had in some other movies that we've had that kind of same plot but not in like the rear window style like that's uh getting into well, some other types think? if you're following this character and you're believing what this character believes you don't want them to be wrong you want to be yeah. right with them yeah uh 
but yeah i don't know there, there is something that's like i don't know just really entertaining uh raymond burry is a great villain even though again like we said he doesn't he's he's on screen at a distance the entire time like has has no lines pretty much to the to the main character uh and i also but one of my favorite shots that hitchcock uses in this that is like a really uh a really like creepy and effective shot is the when he uses the totally blacked out room and there's just the light from the cigarette that he's just sitting there staring out the window sitting in complete darkness <laughs> that there's something like really off-putting about just that you again you can't even see him but just that thought process of they're like yeah just oh. the light that go like dims and yeah brightens, dims yeah and brightens, so they're like well yeah they, he does that twice in the film uh and the one time is is when that woman gives her gives her speech about how you know nobody really cares about anyone in this neighborhood they're all just like fakes and they all pretend to be he is the only one that didn't come to the he, window he, to see yeah. what was going on yeah he yeah he mentions that that he's the only one that didn't go to the window and then it just it's that perfect shot of just total blackness and then just the light from the cigarette that goes on and off as he's smoking it and i do love that that shot it, it's so it's really effective for such a simple shot it's also one of those moments, too, that helps the audience think that there's something wrong with this character. Yeah. Because everything else kind of feels like mm, it could be in his head. It's like at that point where this could go either way. It's 50-50 as to what's going to happen. Yeah. That's one of those odd ones. Like, I don't know. They get too yeah. into it with, like, the jewelry. And it really gets, like, to be a product of the time where... The, where Oh, I wouldn't go anywhere without my jewelry and the mate and makeup. I wouldn't even go to the yeah. hospital without that stuff. So I think that is interesting. I do like the, the I do like the idea though, the setup of well, he brought his wife to the train. So obviously there's like another character that exists, but we never see them. Yeah. So it's it's only in theory that that there's somebody that's been helping him do this. Yeah. Or well, we see a woman leave with him, and I guess the assumption is that like that's his girlfriend or something like that that leaves I, the apartment with him. I mean, yeah, and he does have good points too, where they talk about the postcard that was received, but they're also got the long distance phone call. They're like, "Why would you call to say that you're there?" But then that also feels, send the postcard yeah, to that, say that you're that, there. That's another one that felt like very much like it showed the age of the time, like. He could tell it's a long distance phone call because he had to like dial nine before the number or something <laughs> like that. Like he could, he can he see on too his many numbers. Yeah. yeah, he can see on his uh, uh oh, what the, I can't, I can't think of the name of those type of binoculars. Phones. No, the the phone when it has the rotary. rotary phone. Yeah, that he's that he puts too many numbers on the rotary phone for the for that time period. Um, and the jewelry again to reference. Well, I actually lived when. You didn't have to do the area code if it was oh, within your area. I could remember that a long time ago. <laughs> Isn't that bad, Chuck? Yeah. It's like over it's like over thirty years ago. That's that they stopped yeah. doing that. <laughs> the, but uh, we remember it. The the jewelry does play a good moment though. Uh and again, this almost to to reference back, there's a very key scene with a ring that is almost essentially like a play on the scene from Shadow of a Doubt that we talked about where uh they feel like that's the key piece of evidence if you can show like why of all the pieces of jewelry that's the only one that they really care about is the wedding ring because i guess you could say like like well yeah she'd probably take like her other jewelry off but like and like they ask the the uh his therapist like 
like, do you ever take your wedding ring off? And she's like, you'd have to rip my finger off to get my wedding ring off. Like, I'd never take that off. So that's what the... That's yeah, what more modern in. times where that wouldn't even work that well. Oh, I don't always wear the ring. Yeah. So, yeah, it's again, it's a it's a, like an old fashioned thing of, you know, yeah, again, no one, no one of that age or time period takes their wedding ring off ever at all. So, uh, but that's that's another really great moment. And the way she when she gets into the apartment and searches around the uh, Jimmy Stewart calls and gives him a fake, tries to scare uh, Raymond Burr's character and. Like uh, is like oh, I'm the guy that sent you that note. Like, and I'll I'll, I'll call the cops if you don't meet me here. Uh, when she sneaks into the apartment and searches for the jewelry, that, that's I do I do think that that scene plays out really well. It's it's got a lot of tension, but there's also other things going on that he puts in the background that I think are really effective. Like the uh, uh, at the same time that this is going on, they're looking in on uh, the woman that lives below him, which is that Miss Lonely Hearts. And she's like pouring out all these pills like she's going to kill herself. So then they're like, they're also worried that this woman is going to do something drastic um, that she's going to kill herself. So they start getting like worried about her. The caretaker knows exactly what type of pills they are. Yeah. I'd recognize those red pills from anywhere. So it's also the shot too when Raymond Burr is coming into his apartment. It's like one of the only times where the window that's open has a reflection of the door. Yeah, and you see so you can see in. both character. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really sharp. It plays and really I, well. Yeah, and I mean, it does also have a moment of did was she able to hide? But yeah, you like can't tell because you can't see everything because of like the way the walls are. Like you're not sure where she could be. Is like is she in a closet? Is she in? Is she in here? And then, uh, uh. Then that that moment is really perfect when when she has the ring and she's clearly trying to signal to uh, Jimmy Stewart because she knows he can see into the window um, that she's wearing the ring. And when he looks down and, and sees her hands behind her back and she's like tapping the ring and then when he just looks straight up into camera right at him, Jimmy Stewart's like, turn the light off, get out of here. He sees us <laughs> like he starts one of the funniest moments, too, of like like they jump back turn off yeah. the lights he's the dude has yeah seen you he's all. clearly already seen you and knows exactly where you are like he knows exactly where to come find you uh I, yeah i love that moment that's such a that's such a great shot like i said again uh I, I think it's a kind of a great whether hitchcock intended it or not it is it works as a great uh callback to the finale of shadow of a doubt where at this point i think yeah the character thinks he's probably gotten away with everything but he's ultimately undone by just that one piece of evidence, that ring, and it immediately throws all of his plans out the window and he starts having to starts having to do something else drastic. Yeah, I mean it really is great. I I do think the detective is dickish in the way that he continuously doesn't reveal information he has until he's leaving. He is like, Oh well, that postcard disagrees with what you had to say. Yeah. All right, Dick, why don't you say that in the beginning? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> also, I love the mo- the suspense when after the ring, after he makes eye contact with Jimmy Stewart, and he like gets his he like gets his coat on and he's like leaving <laughs> and he's clearly coming over <laughs> to Jimmy yeah. Stewart's apartment, and he's like trying to hide in the dark. <laughs> he's in his wheelchair, so he's like very limited in what he can do. And I love that shot of where he like slams into the wall with his 
leg and I think, oh my god, that has to hurt so yeah. bad. That's but a, well, that's, the, his flash bulbs are like Yeah. That's that's a great moment. They but the other the other part I love out of that scene too is uh after he like after he tells uh that like he's clearly seen him and he sends his therapist away with uh some money to bail his girlfriend out of jail. Um and she leaves and then he calls the or he gets a call back from from that cop who's out uh and starts telling him all the story about like about like, oh well she got the wedding ring and all this happened and like no you need to get over here. Like this is definitely real and he's telling him all that stuff. And then I just love when he hangs up the phone and then the phone rings again and he picks it up. He's like, Look man, you gotta get over here. Thorwald's leaving and it's just like dead silence. And he's just like uh hello and he just hangs up the phone he's just like and that's when he's like yeah. he's like oh god he's coming over <laughs> that's yeah, what he I immediately did skip over does that. that is a great moment of like they I, it's been done in so many movies before but i i like that that's where it ends it ends right there there's you know you don't need the know you know if that makes yeah. any sense you don't need the confirmation you as yeah. an audience you know what's going on he's yeah. also the loudest person to come to the apartment too <laughs> like yeah you can you can hear him stomping up the stairs from like 20 feet away it definitely has like a horror movie vibe to it yeah you hear like the creaking in the hallway yeah also yeah. no one locks their doors yeah he wasn't he wasn't prepared for that uh uh it, but yeah it is good the the they set up that he's got all that you know camera equipment so he has the flash bulbs uh and yeah, I don't know. It, that works really well. Like it, it sounds kind of goofy. Like when you say it, that that how does he defeat the bad guy? Like he's in a wheelchair. It's like oh, well, he he flashes him in the eyes with his flash bulb, and it blinds him temporarily. It like sounds dumb, but I, the way it the way they play it out, I think it, I think it works really well. Is get forgiving this character that has no, you know, no means of really protecting himself. Right. Like he's he's completely helpless in the wheelchair. I feel like if this movie was yeah, definitely. If this movie was remade nowadays, you'd have like the killer would come in and like stomp his cast and like smash his legs to pieces and be like, "Oh, you'll never walk again." I'll make sure you're dead or something. Like he'd be like way more over the top and violent. I wouldn't make him more violent. I'd make yeah. him more like, "What? What? What do you want from me?" Yeah, the, yeah. I think that honestly works better. The uh, yeah, the real like scared. Like I don't know what you want. You want money? I don't have money. The flash bulbs have that great effect too of like the the waning in and out of the red color like as if yeah. your eyes need to adjust it is funny though because he goes through four bulbs so every time that, it's like the guy's taken aback as if he's not sure what's happening or what's going on yeah and i love when they get their final confrontation it kind of has like a weird i don't know i'm not a huge fan of wrestling but I just like the way that he like flips Jimmy Stewart like out the upside window. down, throw him out the damn window. Um, but Jimmy Stewart did what he needed to do. He stalled long enough for you know them to come in and arrest the guy, yeah. but uh, not That's enough for him for. to yeah, not enough for him to not fall on the concrete. Yeah, and break, At least he was only two stories up. Break his other leg and apparently probably be in a cast for like another seven weeks. Right, and it is funny because. The climax is that he's proven correct in his yeah. theories, but the resolution for Hitchcock is a a punchline to a joke. Essentially, I I even like the little extra that we get with uh, his girlfriend 
where she seems to be reading the adventure books, like, oh, she's ready for this. Yeah. And when she realizes that he's, he's knocked asleep, out, yeah, she pulls she out the, the fashion, the fashion magazines. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a good, uh, that, that's one of my favorite endings of a Hitchcock movie in that it, it plays out like it, like it's kind of, we had like a goofy ending. I don't even think we even really mentioned it cause it's such a small thing, but like at the end of the man who knew too much that ends on a joke of after all that stuff happens, they go back and all those, all their party guests are all like asleep in, on the couches cause they were waiting for them to come back all night. And they're just like, there's like, Oh, you guys fell asleep. We were only out to get Hank. And then it ends on like that. Da, 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 like, like kind of like goofy laugh. Uh, but I really enjoy this ending of uh, first off, I guess the the way it breaks, it's almost like the the movie is supposed to be like some sort of uh, fever dream or something. We're shown the the thermostat at the very beginning of the film that it's like a hundred degrees and everyone's like sweating to death. They're all like they're all miserable because of how hot and and humid it is. And finally, when the when the killer's revealed and is removed, it's almost like removing the disease or the infection from the neighborhood and suddenly the temperature goes down and everybody's back to normal. They're not, they're not all crazy and acting, acting out of line. We get the Miss Lonely Hearts visits the uh, composer and like, I guess they're, they'll have a relationship. She apparently the, saves her life from suicide. Yeah. Cause she loved his music so much. She heard it playing and that made her want to, want to not kill herself. Uh, you know, the people get a new puppy. That's, that's, that's their, their moment. I do love the the dancer that it's like her her boyfriend comes back from like the war or something and he's like this super nerdy, like looks like a Rick Moranis type guy that's just like, Oh gee, you got a sandwich for me, babe? Like <laughs> he's like kind of this this goofy guy. And then uh the other the other couple, the the newlywed couple that we've seen that that uh you know seem to be having such like a happy start to their marriage, and then it's like geez larry i can't believe you quit your job you could have told me that before like they're just screaming at each other and like hate each I other mean, already the only moment that you get that things are nice are when they first move into the place and they recreate the like i'll carry you in yeah. and then every moment after that is larry trying to get a break and like the minute he opens the window his wife's yelling yeah larry him. get back in here <laughs> yeah so yeah, I, I do enjoy that ending. I think it I think it plays really well. Um just for a for a great movie. It's a solid one. It does. And I mean there's lots of like nice little theories in there, like the dog. Oh, why is the do- dog digging in, in his garden? His little garden. Yeah. Um I like how they're like, well, something was buried there and something was moved. And I kind of like that aspect, but I also feel like it's kind of bold for you to to bury something like sometime in the middle of the night and not think that a single person in that highly <laughs> populated area would see you. In that courtyard where everyone can, can see directly into it because everyone has a giant window that looks right into it. I also like when the freight people come to pick up his box and they're like, that has to be her. That has to be the potty. And the caretaker runs out to get the name of the truck and she misses it. But I'm pretty sure it just says freight lines. Like, it's not hard yeah. to see. And she's like, oh, I missed it. I, I'm so sorry. I tried to get out there as fast as I could. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's supposed to be Greenwich Village. And New York yeah. City is like the idea. I do like the delirium from the heat. That is actually, it definitely adds to it where... 
the heat, the I don't know necessarily isolation's the great he's not exactly isolated, but he he's been he's been wheelchair bound for way too long yeah. that it, it's it's getting to him. It's making things worse. There's, there's something about New York City on the hottest day of the year, like we've had <laughs> That's a that's our Spike Lee. He likes to do that in a couple of his films. Well, that... I wa- yeah, and I watched it with Steph, and she's like, "He ruined how many of his pajama pants because he keeps cutting the leg." Oh yeah, he's uh... cutting the leg off of his pants. Yeah, but this uh, again, like we said, this is a concept that's been used multiple times to to different effect. Uh, I think probably probably one of the better versions, uh, I guess, of the idea of. Uh, the, a character thinking he's stumbled onto a murder is something like blow up and blow out. Those are two of my favorites that take that kind of concept of uh, not the isolation or the, or I guess kind of that, you know, not, not necessarily as much as that of that voyeurism of just sitting there and watching everyone around you, but just, just that idea of, you know, thinking you might've found something somewhere and trying to convince either yourself or everyone around you that you did actually witness something and right, kind of the, the, the obsession the, that yeah, they have to the, the craziness that you, the lengths that you go to, to try to prove to everyone that you, that you've, you've caught on to something that no one else around you wants to believe is actually happening. And I feel like that's a valid idea of if somebody was telling you something crazy like that, you think, oh yeah, in your small neighborhood, I'm really sure that person killed their wife. Yeah. You're, you're, they probably went somewhere. You don't know them well enough. There has to be some explanation. Yeah, and yeah, and it's kind of like in those films, like, you know, what's what's your evidence that that you found a murder? And it's like, well, I think in the, you know, back in the corner of this one picture, that that's a body sitting on the ground or something like that, like that that one little image, which. Is like uh, I don't know if I'll believe that that's a that's a murder victim that looks like it could be dust on the lens or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I also think the comedy is really good in this too, which that's just what Hitchcock's great at. I love the lobster dinner oh, that yeah. she prepares for him, and it's like, doesn't it look wonderful? And it's like, I love lobster, but it's one of the grossest shots <laughs> of a dinner of all time. And he's like, oh yeah, it looks great. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, his, yeah, his caretaker makes me laugh with like her. Uh, she's always, yeah, it seems like she's probably like like one of those people that goes home and yeah, reads like reads like dime store horror novels or something like that. Like when he's, she prepares him that breakfast and then she's going on about like, where do you think he cut the body up? You think he put her in the tub? You think he think that's where he did it? Think there was any? Think he got any on himself? Like it just keeps going on. Like he's trying to like eat his eggs. Yeah. yeah. Something about this. Something about it that yeah just works really well. And yeah, this was this was just at his peak for Hitchcock. Like, I, I would agree with that. This is peak Hitchcock. Yeah. This and and the film we'll get into next week. I we can already say it at this point. We're we're pretty much and the film after that yeah, that we don't talk about that, that we didn't get to. But uh, yeah, when he gets to Vertigo, and then yeah with Psycho psycho and then uh, it was north by northwest after psycho i can't remember what year no uh where's that fall four i think the year before so i like think 59 yeah i think it's between vertigo and psycho 
that's where like I start getting confused too because he goes in, he goes back and, and forth with that. like black and white, but it comes after you. I, I, th- I, I there might be another movie, but just think of that. Just think, just think of uh, it was like Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, a year apart, like every year a new movie. Yeah, blows my mind. It, it, that is like that's just, it's the peak. He's just he's just taking off. He's just like. Bam, 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 bam. Here's all these ideas that I've been working on for years. Yeah. And I I am. I'm, in, I'm interested. I'm excited to get into Vertigo because, I mean, we, the, the biggest movie of all time, the greatest movie of all time has been like Sight and Sound Magazine and for years has been Citizen Kane. And Vertigo's always been like a close second. And a couple of years it it surpassed it as supposedly like the greatest film of all time. So I, I think that's gonna probably be one of the more interesting things to to tackle. Like what goes into this movie that makes it better than any other movie? Better than any movie that came before it or after it. Yeah. Yeah, there's that uh, yeah. Pretty much 1950 to 1960, like there there was even there were some in there that I wasn't even thinking, but yeah, in between from like I said from 50 to 60, he does you get Strangers on a Train in 51, Dial M for Murder in 54, Rear Window in 54, To Catch a Thief in 55, The Trouble with Harry in 55, The Man Who Knew Too Much in 56, Vertigo in 58, North by Northwest in 59, and Psycho in 1960. So. In that ten-year period, he just like cranks out, and uh, his first film when he started was in 1923. So this was 30 years into his career, and he just like in a ten-year gap, just like cranks out like some of the greatest films ever made in just such a small period of time. Yeah, and I think what we've talked about multiple times is when you keep exploring the same ideas, the same themes, and it's not every movie is exactly the same, but there's some perfection to it. And uh, the very first thing I said on this episode was when we were talking about his Truffaut, his interview with Truffaut and how he really like muddle, like he really, really tries to think about these ideas and he's not always the best at like speaking them. But I think that once he, he has his idea in his head then he goes to the next level of like, how do I convey this to people? How do I convey this to a crew and to cast and to get yeah. what I need? And now that's what he's became a master of. He's always been good at the ideas, but now he's 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 the prime of his life as a director. Yeah, I do think too. I think he's, um, and I know I think he 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 mentions in the book and I in like other things I've seen where they've they've talked about his films and stuff that that he definitely liked to do like the storyboarding process to like basically he he liked to have all of his stuff planned out ahead and i know it's why he talked about he didn't like shooting any extra footage because it would like make him nervous that the studios would try to like take the movie from him and or want him to like add things back in like it'd be like oh i didn't shoot that like i i didn't shoot any of that stuff like you can't cut my movies and and try to put things in them that i don't want in them so um I mean, it happens a lot. There's a lot of yeah. directors that have that same feeling of, 
I'm not going to shoot anything extra. I'm yeah. not going to give myself don't give a lot the, of takes. Yeah, don't give them the the option, which which now coverage. it's like coverage is yeah. what they call it. It's it's interesting nowadays because like how how much that becomes like reshoots or so have become so common in in like Hollywood films that it's just like I mean if you don't shoot it, we'll just reshoot it next year and we'll just we'll just get it and add it into your movie whether you well, want it or not. I mean, like, it blows my mind when I guess when a movie's making close to a billion dollars every time you put one out yeah. you can absolutely do a month of reshoots yeah uh a lot of other people can't afford that so i think that's what becomes more impressive with these lower budget films and i wouldn't say hitchcock's things were low budget but no no i feel, fact, feel probably for the time they were probably considered like well, they'd probably be considered like moderate budget oh like. if you messed up something in rear window and and you're and this is while you're editing the movie. Yeah. How easy is it to go back? Yeah. How long is this set sitting around for you? Exactly. But uh, but yeah. But but to like get to to get to where I'm thinking is like how you're you're talking about like he's not always the best maybe at like verbalizing those ideas. And I feel like it really does show in his films. Especially, and this is a good Rear Window is a good example of where you could cut even more dialogue out of that film and just have it be purely visual and it just makes sense like you know what the you know what's going on you don't have to you don't have to have them keep repeating things like you said like he doesn't have to keep telling people you know the the plot over and over he doesn't have to keep explaining it to you which i know that's that's some people's only some people complain about psycho that like that's a perfect movie other than i know there's people that hate that there's that they had to put like the psychologist at the end that basically explains the whole thing like about split personalities and stuff like that which i i don't really care that much but i know there's some people that like it doesn't bother me because i don't think it's enough of a real explanation i don't yeah i don't think it's a major it thing but it doesn't wrap up everything yeah, for that yeah. movie i know that's like some people's criticism or else we wouldn't have psycho two through four yeah but uh but yeah i feel like this 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 film is a good example again like i uh, how i mentioned earlier uh uh, again, one of his villains with the least amount of overall dialogue and screen time. A lot of his is just reaction shots at a distance. Um, but but it's still there's still just something off-putting enough about him that you you are scared of him. You're nervous about him. I think also it probably helped that they hired Raymond Burr, who was just like a big guy. Like he does look imposing even at a distance. Like he looks like a really large guy that would like that could hurt you very easily. I mean, the confrontation. Uh, with the girlfriend is exactly that moment of like he's just gonna overpower her she's so small like what's it what's he gonna do yeah yeah he's yeah he's such a huge guy um and and yeah that everything about that moment's uh so hard to watch it it really does like like it's a hard moment to watch because you know like you you feel for the hero which is james stewart but again he's stuck in a wheelchair and he literally can't do anything like so he just has to sit there and and he he has to watch her like like oh, he yeah, just starts a like great moment yeah he starts when grabbing her out. and like throwing her on the couch and he's like he's he's like looks like he's getting ready to kill her too and then he's he, there's just nothing he can do he, he called the cops but he has to wait for them to arrive to to do something about it so he just has to sit there and like watch this happen the whole time yeah and building up to that i feel like there's just this great choreography which kind of falls in line with the the movie playtime like you said where everybody kind of gets this mo- like there's this constant movement 
and the camera just kind of like focuses on what it needs to focus on in that moment, which I would take as Jimmy Stewart, like kind of mind wandering from thing to thing. But that moment where they go down there and they're like, we're just going to dig it up. We're going to dig and see what we can find because that flower is shorter than it should have been. And he has that like really old, like, I don't know. It's really fucking weird. The, the photo that he keeps going back and forth between the show, like yeah, that time's different. Yeah. Time has changed. But I do like the idea of like nothing's here, sorry, and she's like fuck it, and goes up to the fire just escape, the, yeah, and then honestly, I don't know if that's really Grace Kelly, but her going into the window seems very dangerous. <laughs> it I seems tr- like she's definitely far off the ground, and I don't definitely. I feel not like it's a net of like any definitely. Sort. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely a stunt <laughs> performer. I was trying to see if I could tell because I know that's like the. Um, I think they they don't do it as much now because now there's there's more of a there's more female stunt performers. But I know it was like a thing like back in the days of like the like the righteous gemstones. Like just get a just get a skinny boy to to pretend to be the the girl so that he could climb up there or something like that. I was like trying to see if I could tell that that wasn't her at all. That it was like actually a guy in a dress. It, it looks like her. It, yeah. it it really does. But that the suspense that's built because now she's in this room. And we don't really know if she's going to find anything. Yeah. And he comes home so quickly that, like, that is the scariest thing. And the fact that Jimmy Stewart's wheelchair bound, what the hell can he do? He's he's trapped. Now he's, now he's legitimately trapped. Yeah. It's just been kind of hellish to him. And now it's like, nope, your punishment is your, your obsessions. You're going to have to watch your fiancé die. But those are some pretty fast acting police. Like within maybe two minutes time, they show up. <laughs> Just like, uh, yeah. And I really do like the idea of like what is going on in Raymond Burr's head. Being that we do know that he committed the murder, but the fact that like this girl's in his apartment and then within seconds, the police are showing up like what would it adds to that moment where you're talking about where she taps the ring and Raymond Burr catches that he, that she's doing it for somebody. And that's when she, he sees Jimmy Stewart. It's a great moment because he's just utterly confused. He yeah. has, he has no idea what's, what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Cause it, cause yeah, he has no clue like how anybody could know that he did anything like he's like he's like i killed her in my house like how does anyone know that i killed her like how who could have seen me do it and you know what he survives there could be rear window too where he comes after jimmy stewart Uh, i do want to i do want my my end scene would have been him in jail like i don't i don't understand how i messed up i don't know that damn guy with his voyeurism it's always the ring that's what always gives him up uh, I think it's Hitchcock too that always says that anytime that you watch a movie, you're a voyeur. Yeah. And the idea of the audience always being a voyeur to whatever's going on it, it is extremely interesting, especially since that's what you make the main character. And there is also that like moral ground of they're not necessarily um there's not necessarily like a lot of harm there, but it's not ethically correct yeah which then you know to 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 keep it on on the theme of hitchcock and a related film uh 
was taken to the next level with Peeping Tom, which was, you know, when they, when, when we actually got the film that literally put you in the, in the view of the killer in the, in the camera lens. Yeah. And uh, I do, this is one of my, I like this cameo too, that he has in it of fixing the, the clock, the clock for the, yeah, the composer guy. It's actually one of the longer ones, and I feel like he's in it pretty late too. He's like at it's, the thirty-minute mark. Or yeah, it's something. a little bit. It's a little bit later for that time period because, yeah, I know, like, like we said before, he uh, he tried to he tried to get him out of the way as early as he could in a lot of yeah. The, I think like Psycho's like he's like right up there, like within the first couple minutes, yeah. like there I am, now I'm out. The single, and again, the single locations, the way he works himself in which is one of my favorite Hitchcock cameos is the one in lifeboat where it's literally just a picture of him in a magazine in like a, in an ad for a uh, fat loss. <laughs> it's that, like the before he's the, he's the before picture and the before and after, oh, I think he's the after picture too, but they just like did like Photoshopping to make him look like a skinny person in that thing. But that's like one of my favorite, like uh you're wrong. You jokes. lost the weight. I'm sure. But yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he lost it and then put it all back on. <laughs> He just never had his uh, Lord of the Rings that would have made him lose like 200 pounds by running around New Zealand. That's what he needed. Or even Guillermo del Toro, where he talked about doing Pan's Labyrinth. He's like, yeah, yeah I thought I was going to have a heart attack doing this on the hillside. <laughs> like every, he's like, everything was a hike. Everything was like, which actually that concept's actually hilarious too, because I had seen something online where they were making fun of a shot from the new Spider-Man movie. And they're like, why can't these, like the actors are clearly in a green screen. Is it that hard to have you go out in the woods and film? (laughs) And then somebody's response was the Pine Barrens episode of Sopranos where it shows them all like beat up, look like they're dying out there in the woods. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even a mile into the woods without any sort of way to get there. Yeah, you know what? What are you gonna do? But I, I do like the idea of of control, and I, I think there's a lot of things that Hitchcock would be jealous of now too, because he doesn't necessarily need the, the single take for a rear window, but like, his backgrounds aren't the best looking. I mean, they're all right, yeah. but they definitely have that like fake city vibe. Which is hilarious because the closest that I've seen to fake city vibes like that uh, are whenever we discussed Eyes Wide Shut. And it's funny that it's like 1999 and it's like, we're going to shoot it in London, so it <laughs> we don't really care how much it looks like New York right now. But yeah, the, some of the effects, like I think of well, you're one of your favorite movies, Zodiac. They do a great job with the CG of making the time, like the surrounding imagery, look like, you know, San Francisco from yeah. the '60s, and I think that is something that Hitchcock would definitely be jealous of. But I mean, yeah. honestly, if you think about it, he's done a lot. He's influenced a lot, so maybe he didn't get to exactly where he was happy. But I also feel like he's one of those personalities that's never 100% satisfied which maybe that's what you need to make good movies or good yeah. art just you have to be like nah that sucked I'm gonna do it again yeah I'm gonna try again <laughs> he wouldn't Dude, be it was, uh... it was a masterpiece nah it definitely wasn't a masterpiece yeah he, he was definitely one that like uh, 
I know that was, you know, that was James Cameron's big thing with something like Avatar. Like he said he, you know, he had to wait for the technology to catch up for him to be able to create that film. So he just didn't direct a movie from for like 10 years between or however long because Titanic was like 98 or something like that. And then it was like 09 when Avatar finally came out. Um, I at least I at least give uh, Hitchcock the credit for he was even trying it even before he necessarily had the technology to do some of this stuff. Like, like again, he was trying to do the single take when, uh, yeah, clearly the technology wasn't there to make it the best thing in the world, but he at least didn't just say, you know, Oh man, that's a good idea, but I don't know if I could really pull it off. He's like, Nope, I'm going to, I'm going to try to pull it off. I don't care if I, you know, I'm going to do the best I can with it. And like, like I said, I, I still think that movie is, is pretty good. It's, it's, it's overall, a really effective film that I think he does really well with. Why in his mind do you think that shadow of a doubt is better than rear window? I still think it's, I still think it's the, 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 that's the film that has the killer as the, the primary antagonist or primary protagonist. Sorry to put it that way. I still think as much as, as much as he probably likes any of these films, he loves, I still think he just loved to have a film where he could make, uh, basically like a, such a truly evil character as Joseph Cotton's character in that film, but he's still the protagonist and you actually like him. Even when you do think he's the killer, he still comes off as like such a good, like, or not a good guy. That's not the right way, but he's like such a charming, likable guy. And I think Hitchcock loved that, you know, the, how slimy and, right. he's and oily Bundy. this guy is that like, he just convinces everyone in the world that he's the nicest guy in the world but you know that he's actually one of the worst people in the world. I, I do. I do love how it's like the 50, 50, but I mean, it's interesting though, that in shadow of a doubt, it, the focus is you are with this, with Joseph Cotton's character and you're getting a feel for what they are seeing. And you're not quite sure if you, if he is the killer or, or you're overthinking it, yeah. which is really funny because that is the theme that carries on the strongest in rear window. Uh, we have a person that's more interested in it, but once again, it it is the audience's decision as to what they think is going on throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Although that might be the major, maybe that's the major difference. Besides the murder jokes being better in Shadow of a Doubt, <laughs> you also have a that likability that Raymond Burr just didn't have. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, Raymond Raymond Burr. From the moment you see him, you're like, "Oh, that guy's a murderer!" Like, <laughs> like, could you imagine if the end of Shadow of a Doubt was just literally Joseph Cotton getting on the train and leaving with that woman? So you're like, "He's gonna kill that woman." The end. Like, <laughs> well, lost you for a second. I think my batteries are dying. I was just saying that I I think that it would be clever if like instead of having to have like, and I'm sure it was the 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 ratings board that like enforced it that it had to have some sort of happy ending like just have Joseph Cotton's character like get away with it and you know that he's he's going off to kill that other widow and uh, that's just generally where I was going with that (laughs) that would have been ideal yeah Uh, what would you say to people that haven't seen this movie besides see it what do you think is the biggest draw to somebody who hasn't seen this movie? Uh, I think the biggest draw is, uh, I don't know, probably probably Jimmy Stewart. That's their big draw there. 
you got to see anything with uh with that guy in it uh yeah i don't know it's it's like this feels like the one that is hard for me to like put my finger on exactly you might not be able to pinpoint it but i feel like you can have you could have ideas like you could be like the suspense is great the 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 structure of it is fantastic the use of lighting you said that already you love that yeah that's called cinematography, but I like, yeah, sitting in the darkness, smoking the cigar, such a, I don't say cheap effect, but low budget effect that is highly effective. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I love. I don't want to say this movie has like a gimmick, but it kind of does have a gimmick, the single, the single setting, but I don't know. There's just something about that, that, that draws you in. You like it something about like you you're trapped in there with them that you can't leave you can't go anywhere else um there's like never an escape from these characters and like what he's seeing and what he's feeling you never it it keeps the tension up for for the whole film there's never a there's never a part where it's going to be like oh it's okay they're gonna you know maybe in the next scene they'll go to they'll go somewhere else and it'll be nice it's like nope he's still gonna be in the apartment he's still gonna be watching the guy across the street yeah maybe eventually we'll cover single setting films uh, there's a lot of good there's, ones there's lots yeah and there's a lot of good examples of ones where they're not the most effective but they're like almost there so yeah i mean i think that that was a pretty good discussion on rear window obviously check it out i did see that hitchcock's it, they're really stretching it out there's like four different set like the 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 4k sets that have been coming out for hitchcock are like there's volume one and volume two and each are like four or five movies so they're really stretching it out but that very first volume i think definitely has rear window and i believe it might also have vertigo and the man who knew too much it's literally everything that we ended up talking about uh but yeah you can check you can get by that individually too if you want and it's it's a hundred percent worth your time I'd be interested to see what the transfer looks like changing it to 4K. But, yeah. Uh, One more. One more Hitchcock. We'll be doing that next week. We will have a bonus beforehand where me and Chuck will be doing our yearly, our annual Oscars discussion. They're never very long. They're just kind of like uh, reactions. The last one was was by myself, though, so don't let me down again, Chuck. Can you not let me down? Can you not hear me because your microphone is dead? Yeah, going in and out. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see you next week. Chuck is still here. I'm, I'm just, he's just being lost slightly. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. 
We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.